Hey guys, before we get into the episode, I want to give a quick shout out to this episode's sponsor, Maine Drinking Club. Maine Drinking Club is a locally owned company that creates incredible party apparel for Maine, posts hilarious clips sent in by fans, and just embodies what some of our residents are like when having some fun. Their content thus far on what's coming up puts them at the top of what any page similar in the state posts and will quickly expand globally. I'm telling you guys to check them out now. They have new amazing merch that ranges from hoodies, long sleeves, t-shirts, hats, and anything you can think of wearing to a party and out and about to show off to all your friends and your family. They've been kind enough to give me the discount code MAINBBALL, that's M-A-I-N-E-B-B-A-L-L, for you guys that takes 10% off your first purchase. You can find their website by going to their Instagram page, at Club or going to teespring.com backslash stores backslash main hyphen drinking hyphen club. I know that may sound a little confusing, but trust me, it's worth the type. You guys need to jump on this train while they're primed to explode and go buy some merch and follow their page. Again, huge shout out to my boys at Main Drinking Club for sponsoring this episode. Enjoy. You're listening to the Mainly Basketball Podcast. Curry, point out to Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the lead! Oh, blocked by James! Five seconds, Bryant for the win! It's Curry, he got the shot off! Go ahead! Go ahead! And the Blazers win the series for the first time in 14 years! Defended by Simmons, is this the tiger? Goal! Series! What's up, guys, and welcome to episode 45 of the Mainly Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Carter Bruce, back again with more NBA talk. I hope you all enjoyed last episode, because I know definitely if you're messing with the recent content, you're going to love today's episode as well. Got some great topics for you guys. You know, one reoccurring one to end it off, but three new topics that I feel like are the most important to talk about. I feel like most intriguing that you guys can really get into and that you'll love the most. But I just want to give another quick shout out to y'all. More, uh, you know, every, with every episode that comes out, get new followers, new supporters, uh, the reoccurring supporters. So I appreciate each and every one of you. Hope y'all are doing well. For my fellow high schoolers, college, you know, college goers, you know, finish out strong. I'm going through that same thing as with you guys. I'm a senior. This is my last semester. Got to push through, trying to get through. I know how hard it is, but everyone just continue to push yourselves, finish strong, get those grades up if they're down. So let's get straight into it. No better, off, no better way to start than the power rankings. Now I want to give a quick description of what these power rankings are to me. Now you might hear some other teams ahead of others, that doesn't mean I think that that team is completely better. It's just within, let's say, their last 10 games, uh, I'm putting who my top 10 teams have been in, the last, in their last 10 games. There are going to be certain teams that you're going to say, well, they're not better than this team that's not in there. Well, this team has played better recently than they have. That's how power rankings generally work. Just want to kind of get that confusion out there. This isn't my rankings for who I have as the 10 best teams in the NBA right now just as of recently. Going to start off, and I want to give a heads up, Clippers-Nets game has not happened yet. So, number one, I'm going to go the Clippers. They're 9-1 in their last 10 games on a three-game winning streak. 
not huge, huge wins in this nine and one in this ten game stretch. Uh, Kings, Pacers, and Heat have been their biggest wins thus far. But just to kind of give you guys insight on how their season is going, they're seventh in points per game, fourth in opponents' points per game, second in offensive rating. They're fourth in field goal percentage, first in three-point percentage, first in free throw percentage, and are also first in the conference with a record of 16-5. and five. Now, why I have them at number one, obviously being 9-1 helps quite a bit, but this team, just Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, look better than they did in, the regular, in this regular season than they looked together last regular season. And I feel like a lot of their surrounding pieces are fulfilling their positions a lot better than others did last year. You know, obviously Montrez Harold and Lou Williams were both in contention for sixth man of the year, but you have guys like Serge Ibaka that is taking over kind of that Montrez Harrell role, and I feel like he's thriving in that. Um, I feel like Luke Kennard has been has been a vital piece. He's shooting well for the team beyond the arc. He's filling in that Shamit piece that they lost last year. So where normally we see teams that are super, super competitive lose pieces like that who chip in a good amount of points a game or crucial points in a game. Uh, it's very good to see other other guys that are they you bring in, in the offseason are able to fill in and somewhat do better than what the other pieces have done either in their new situations or what they did for you years previously. This team is just clicking on all cylinders offensively. You know, obviously, you know, with their shooting percentages being out of this world, being first in almost every single one of them besides field goal percentage, they're really just finding their momentum as of recently. We saw them struggle early on, losing a couple games in their first in their first ten. I believe they were six and four, seven and three, uh, and just going on the run that they've been able to. It kind of shows that they're getting into their groove of. Uh, getting over that second round loss and getting into big games, winning bigger games. They did earlier in the year. They haven't really, this Nets game is going to be their first big game in a while. So I'm intrigued to see if they can carry on this momentum because this Nets team, a lot of people are saying this is a, a finals, you know, a look at what the finals matchup could be, which is possible, but there's also many other, there's multiple other finals matchups that are possible, but this Clippers team, to me, has looked like the best team in the last 10 games. Uh, I'm not going to say by a wide margin, but it has been. Uh, they have been looking very, very good as of recently. At number two, I have the 76ers. They're 8-2 in their last 10. Meanwhile, two of those games, Joel Embiid wasn't in. Uh, they're on a three-game win streak. They have wins over the Pacers, the Lakers, Celtics two times, and the Heat. They're 8th in points per game, 10th in opponents' points per game. They're fourth in defensive rating, first in blocks, ninth in field goal percentage, seventh in total rebounds per game, fourth in steals, and they're first in the conference. Now, at a time, their starting lineup, when fully healthy, was completely undefeated. And what I'm getting from this, Tobias Harris has stepped up. He's averaging 20 points per game. While Ben Simmons' points per game have dropped off, Tobias Harris has climbed. He's become that guy that's taking over somewhat late in games if Joel Embiid is not. We've seen Ben Simmons take over in certain games, like this Lakers game, Tobias Harris hitting that game winner. It kind of gave me the sense that they maybe possibly found their closer, what they were, you know, had with Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris wasn't able to do last season without with Butler leaving. It may it seems like in a game like that where it takes a lot of confidence to take that last shot. Tobias Harris has found that confidence in himself, and the 76ers have kind of found that confidence within him, in, <clears throat> within him as well. 
with additions like Danny Green and Seth Curry, um, I think we're getting the sense of the old 76ers. And even though it's not that old, it's good to see that Seth Curry and Danny Green are fulfilling that role and maybe even exceeding it during at you know during some points uh with what we saw Marco Bellinelli and JJ Redick do for that team they were able to help them space the floor uh help Joel you know not be constantly double teamed and if he is he's able to kick out and find shooters that are able to consistently knock down shots Tobias Harris really is shooting well from the field and three-point percentage compared to what he normally shoots he's not a bad I'm not no way am I saying he's a bad shooter but he's definitely a guy that you look at and you say, yeah, he's definitely a, a streaky, streaky shooter. That's what he's been kind of known as, his, you know, lo- how long he's been in the league. You know, right now shooting 51.4% from the field and 46.4% from the three. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think, oh, if someone's shooting that high percentage from the, fee- you know, from the, from the three-point line, they can't be shooting too, too many shots a game. But in all in all reality, he's shooting almost five threes a game and being able to knock down 46% of those when you have other guys who are known as three-point shooters on your team is fantastic and is exactly what this 76ers team needs. And I feel like it's been it's why they've been able to pull off wins against teams like the Pacers, the Lakers, the Celtics twice, and the Heat. Number three, I have the Lakers. The reason why I don't have them higher is because, you know, they suffered that loss to the 70. If they would have beat the 76ers, I probably would have put them over that, over the definitely over them but with the recent win against the Celtics that helped them they're on a two-game win streak seven and three in their last ten uh, wins over the Celtics the butt in the Bucks. those are their two big wins really um, but with Anthony Davis's struggles and you know with LeBron losing that I'm not the Lakers losing that game against the Pistons when Anthony Davis sat out I think that rest was definitely what Anthony Davis needed in order to for them to beat that Celtics team with his struggles, this is why I don't have them at number two because with without having Anthony Davis at full power in your last 10 games, I can't put them above teams that have looked better than them as of recently. But the Lakers, they're 15th in points per game, first in opponents points per game, eighth in offensive rating, first in defensive rating, fifth in field goal percentage, seventh in three-point percentage, ninth in total rebounds, fourth in blocks. They're third in their conference. It's not as by, what well, I think, a game or game and a half at this point. But this, uh, the Lakers team, in certain games, they look like a collective unit, but it's just kind of like that inconsistency outside of LeBron and Anthony Davis that we saw last year but they you know certain players were able to pull out in certain games but I think the only thing we're seeing this year that's different and why maybe I have them at the third slot is like I said Anthony Davis's inconsistency you know he's not averaging those Anthony Davis numbers he's averaging almost four or five points less than he was last year his rebounding's around the same but he just doesn't look like the normal Anthony Davis especially with his free throw shooting and as I've heard a lot of analysts and people say, and, you know, as I know myself, when you're not able to knock down those free, th- you know, the, the free shots where nobody's contesting you, you know, you, you're, you're weak at the legs. You, that's why he's not able to knock down those, those jumpers and those fadeaways that he's normally knocking down at a consistent rate. But I feel like the Lakers are definitely going to get back in their groove. I can't, I think next time if I talk about them in power rankings, I definitely think they'll be top two, if not number one, because that's how talented this roster is. At four, I have the Jazz. They're nine and one in their last ten. They were ten and zero, 
but they're on a one-game losing streak. They have wins over the Hawks, Nuggets, Warriors, Mavericks twice. They're ninth in points per game, uh, third in opponents' points per game, fifth in offensive rating, sixth in the in defensive rating, third in three-point percentage, first in total rebounds, fifth in blocks, second in con- and they're second in the conference, just uh, a half a game above the the Lakers. This Jazz team. We've seen consistent outputs from you know players on their team, whether that be uh, Joe Ingles, Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Rudy Gobert, and other players on their team have been able to chip in at a you know a very consistent rate. That's why they're able to win. That's why they're able to win ten games in a row. It's not like they were playing total scrubs in that ten game in that ten game stretch. They are just the Jazz are just always a collective unit. They're always with this certain squad they've had. They were able to win as many games as they were last year, the year before. It's because they are very, they're very well put together. They all they all know by now their certain play styles. The guys coming off the bench like Jordan Clarkson, that's helping them out a lot because he's able to. He's going to be in contention for Sixth Man of the Year at the end of the year, I believe. Um, he's done a good job at coming in and helping this team out a lot. Uh, because that starting unit is really their glue because they're the most used to their playing styles with, with one another, especially those four that I named firsthand. Uh, but this Jazz team, I don't expect them to stay second in the conference. I I probably... They normally have one of these runs where they win 10 games, then they can lose 3-4 in a row, and other teams win 3-4 in a row or 2 in a row that are right behind them. And this Western Conference is so closely contested that they could go from 2 they could go from two to 5 within a 5-game span if they happen to lose a couple games, which as well as they if they were at 5, they could jump up to 2 with a 10-game win streak they had, obviously. Uh, but this Jazz team, I like what I'm seeing from them. I, I want to see it throughout the entirety of the season uh, for me to believe that they're legitimate Western Conference Finals team. I don't think they're fine. I can't say finals yet, but Western Conference Finals seems more accurate to portray this team at this point. Uh, number five, I have the Nets. They're 7-3 and three in their last 10. Uh, first, and they're on a one-game losing streak. They beat the Hawks, the Heat twice. They beat the Bucks in that very competitive game. Uh, they're first in points per game. The big problem, and I'm going to get into this later, this is a different topic, they're 28th in opponents' points per game, 3rd in offensive rating, 25th in defensive rating, 1st in field goal percentage, 2nd in three-point percentage, 3rd in free throw percentage, 10th in rebounding, 4th in assists, 3rd in blocks, and they're 2nd in the conference. Uh, just like the Jazz, uh, with them losing, if they lost two games in a row, they could fall down to five because of how tightly contested this Eastern Conference is. But offensively, Love what I see from this this Nets team. Uh, there was obviously a couple games where I stated that James Harden looked uncomfortable in this offense. He looks more comfortable now. It seems like they're kind of fitting well together. That doesn't change my opinion on trading Kyrie Irving because that defense scares me. Yes, they can put up 140 points, but they can also give up 140 points in the same game and, and lose, which which is exactly what we're going to touch upon later. Uh not much other to say than obviously they've played together. They've played well together in certain games, and they've struggled in, in you know some. But I think they're getting over the growing pains. Uh, I think they're going to try and make a statement game against the Clippers. I'm not sure if it's going to be offensively or defensively, but they're statistically the best offense in NBA history, but also statistically the worst in, in you know in defensively in NBA history. Six, I have the Bucks. They're six and four in their last ten. 
on a one-game win streak. They have wins over the Mavs, Hawks, and Raptors. They're second in points per game, 20th in points per game, and opponents' points per game. First in offensive rating, 15th defensive rating, second in field goal percentage, fourth in three-point percentage. Second in rebounding, fifth in assists, 10th in steals, third in the conference. Could very well go to second within a matter of a, a game. But uh, the Bucks, it's really kind of like that the Lakers squad last year where we saw consistent output from the two well, one, uh, the late difference between the Lakers have two superstars, the Bucks have a superstar and a star. Uh, this consistent output from those two, Middleton and Giannis, but outside of those guys, we see you know certain people in the lineup score zero points in a game, or Drew Holiday gets six points in a game, and there's certain games where that's not acceptable, and it seems like they've run into a couple of those as of recently. Uh I would definitely like to see their bench be more consistent because it would scare me if I'm a Bucks fan because if my team uh, if my team is not getting consistent output from their bench and I don't have two superstars, I'm not thinking we're a finals team because the only reason the Lakers were able to get away with it as well as they did is because they had LeBron James and Anthony Davis who are two of the top five players in the, in the world, arguably. But... They've performed well in certain games. It seems they uh, they struggle against the the top-tier teams. Uh, defensively, though they do well at certain points, uh, offensively, uh, that struggle that, they, that we see from them, even though they are second in points per game, uh, their offense sometimes isn't able to pick up for that lack of defense that we see at certain times. You know, Giannis being the defensive player of the year, obviously he's the leader of on the defensive end, but there's other guys that hold that team back that, you know, struggle defensively and can possibly drag this team down when it comes to facing a team like the Nets or the Celtics in the, in the, in the conference semifinals. Seventh, I have the Nuggets, 7-3 and three in their last 10. They're heating up. One-game win streak, wins over the Warriors, Suns twice, Mavs, Heat, and Jazz. Uh, fourth in points per game, 17th in opponents points per game, fourth in offensive rating, 20th in defensive rating, third in field goal percentage, sixth in three-point percentage, third in assists, sixth in steals, and fourth in the conference. Uh, like I said, I knew this Nuggets team would eventually heat up. They just kind of needed to define their identity. But with wins, the, uh, the Warriors, the Suns twice, uh, the Mavs, and the in the recent out, you know, recent game we saw against the Jazz, this Nuggets team looks like the team I projected to finish third. I believe I either projected them finish third or fourth. I'd have to look back. For some reason, I can't remember now, but uh, Jokic is on fire like he has been all season. He's in the MVP conversation. Porter Jr.'s back. Uh, Murray's having consistent, uh, you know, he's having consistent games. Barton had a uh, had a good game for him. Uh, Millsap's uh, chipping in what he needs to chip in. But the biggest thing I see from them is just the comfortability, uh, the comfortability that they have on the offensive end now. I think they've kind of understood, okay, and games against teams like the Jazz and t uh, against the uh, the Warriors, the Suns, we need to kind of have our identity figured out on the offensive end in order to pull out games like this because though we struggle defensively, offensively, if we can figure it out, we're not one of the worst defensive teams in the league. So we can, you know, even though they're 17, you know, they're bottom 10 in defensive rating, they're not one of the worst. They're not the... Nets offensively, and they're also not the Nets defensively. Now, if they found themselves being fourth in points per game and twenty seventh in def, and you know twenty seventh in defensive rating, uh, 
that's where I kind of think that they wouldn't be able to overtake that with how no matter how many people they have that are talented on the offensive end because I think the, the only reason the Nets can get away with that is they have three superstars on their team. Uh, eight, I have the Celtics. They're five and five in the last ten, two game losing streak. Uh, wins over Heat and Cavs. Six, you know, the Celtics are really struggling right now, but they're yeah. sixth, sixteenth in points per game, eighth in opponent points per game, ninth in offensive rating. 12th in defensive ratings, 10th in field goal percentage, 8th in three-point percentage, 8th in total rebound and offensive total rebounds per game, uh, 3rd in steals, 9th in blocks, 4th in the conference. Um, I think Tatum being out hurt them a lot, obviously losing games against the 76ers. But uh, with Tatum coming back, obviously it's such a short season thus far. If you're out for four or five games coming back, you're not going to get that immediate uh, spark right back from that player. It's going to take some time. You know, I don't see them having another 10-game stretch where they are 5-5 five and five throughout the season. I think this is probably going to be the worst stretch they have thus far. Uh, game coming up against the Warriors, that's really a big game for them to, you know, get their confidence back and and get that, uh, you know, that morale back on that team because they while they are um, a super defensive-minded team, they have the offensive talent to beat teams like that are so – that are – rely on the offensive end like the Warriors that have Steph Curry leading them. But with the Celtics, just I think obviously Jason Tatum being out hurt them a lot. Defensively, they kind of lost that spark because though Marcus Smart is the igniter, Jason Tatum is one of the best defenders on the team and can guard you know players that, on teams that they've lost to during that stretch when he was out. At 9, I have the Grizzlies who are 6-4 and four in their last 10. They're on a current 6-game winning streak. Uh, they have wins over the Spurs, 76ers, Suns, Nets, and Cavs. They're 21st in points per game, 5th in opponents' points per game, 22nd in offensive rating, 2nd defensive rating, 8th in rebounding, 2nd in assists, 1st in steals, 5th in the conference. Uh, I think John Moran has brought back a lot to this team. As you can tell just by listening to the numbers, they're, they're back to the old Grizzlies, what we're used to back when Mike Conley, Zach Randolph, uh, Tony Allen, Mark Gasol were on that team. Not saying that this Grizzly team, this Grizzlies team, is that, but they're dominating defensively and they score enough points to get by in certain games where they go against teams like uh, the Nets, they go against the Seventy Sixers, they go against a team like the Suns that can put up points. Uh, so for me, it's it was great to see John Morant really come back and spark this team up to a six-game win streak. Uh, they play again tonight, I believe, so they can get a seven-game win streak going. Uh, they look like a potential playoff team, don't look like anything much past the first round. But with John Morant really being, he's kind of like the Marcus Smart of this team, but as someone who can put up 40 points in a game. Like That's the ridiculous thing about this kid is he's such a leader, he's an igniter on this team, but he's also the, the leading scorer on offense. So it's just like Marcus Smart on steroids, which I really, really love about this young Grizzlies team. At 10, I have the Pacers. They're 5-5 five and five in the last 10. Two-game losing streak, but they have wins over the Blazers, Warriors, and the Raptors twice. They're 11th in points per game, 16th in opponents' points per game, 10th in offensive rating, 14th in defensive rating, 6th in field goal percentage, 6th in assists, 7th in steals, 7th in blocks, and they're 5th in the conference. Uh, like I said, Miles Turner is back. He's playing in more games, and kind of like this Tatum situation, but he's played way less games than Tatum. Uh, to get one of your best players, if not your best player, back on your team to get more in involved. Uh, it's difficult at first. You're going to have some growing pains with him being back. He only played two games. But with Sabonis, with Brogdon, with uh, Karis LeVert, with TJ Warren, 
Uh, those guys fitting in with you know, Turner being back, I feel like this Pacers team is ready to go on a run. Though they are middle of the pack when it comes to points per game, the opponent's points per game, uh, offensive and defensive rating. Uh, though I may seem like a statistical guy and I am a statistical guy, I understand that stats don't mean everything. Uh, this Pacers team is capable of making a run because not only are they talented on the offensive end, but they have players who are also talented on the defensive end that can kind of get their team going. And now with Karis LeVert coming off the bench, that's a huge igniter for them, which when their starting lineup comes back in and plays you know, plays some defense, he's able to put up points where he can average he can average 20 points per game if he wanted to. So this Pacers team, I feel like, though they're fifth in the conference now, they have the potential to reach third in the conference within the next 10 games because that's how good they are collectively as a unit. They're kind of like the Eastern Conference Jazz, in my opinion. Not, I, I wouldn't say that they're not better than the Jazz, but they're kind of looking like they're going to be that team where they're so used to one another's playing style, they're so gelled together that they're going to be able to be competitive in the Eastern Conference because of that factor. And with a guy coming off the bench, they have their Jordan Clarkson and Karis LeVert. That's why this comparison seems so similar and it makes sense to me is because of those two players coming off each other's bench. But that's my top 10 power rankings for the, for the last 10 games. Like I said, not saying teams that are you know above a certain team are better than teams that are outside of it. Just through the last 10 They've certainly played a lot better, like I stated. All right, next up for you guys. Though it has not been fully confirmed, it's been talked about by the NBA, it's been talked about in the league, if it will happen. I feel like all-star talk should start now on this podcast, and I wanted to give you guys my East and West predictions because recent news or what I'm hearing is that they're aiming for around March it's going to be an East versus West. I'm not sure if they, they haven't released full details if it's going to be the East versus West kind of standings or if it's going to be the uh, infamous two captains and then they pick from there. But I'm going to give you guys what my East starters and reserves would be and my West starters and reserves would be at this point in the season. Obviously, a lot can change. I'm not saying that certain players that aren't mentioned can't get into that by March because that just leaves a lot of time. I know they're selected a couple weeks prior. So, I mean, either way, say if it's the middle of March, they have three weeks to uh, play their asses off, play a lot better than maybe they are right now. But as of right this moment, these are my East and West starters. I'm going to start with East. I'm going to go Bradley Beal. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant, and Joel Embiid. Now, a lot of people are going to be saying, why isn't Giannis in it, and why is Jalen Brown in it? I And uh, Bradley Beal, I think, just deserves to be a wet, an East starter. Like, he should have been an all-star last year. But now, look, this team, though it is struggling... He is putting this entire damn organization on his back to win games and is putting up monster numbers, averaging almost 35 points per game right now. Still. Still. And there's not really another guard that is putting up better numbers than him that deserves to be on here. Though, yes, it's not all about numbers. It's about team success. But I don't think that, you know, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, uh, Chris Middleton, 
any of those any of those guys or you know Trey Young those guys deserve to be over him because the Eastern Conference is so close in standings uh, and he the numbers he's just putting up are just ridiculous and I think it's finally time we just allow Bradley Beal to be in you know not he's been in the all-star all-star game before obviously but I think it's time that we just say okay Bradley Beal is putting up insane numbers because when you look at them yes they're bottom of the conference but when you talk about uh other teams he's only four and a half he's only four and a half games behind the Atlanta Hawks the Brooklyn Nets yes they are you know ahead of them in the standings way ahead but they have Kevin Durant Kyrie Irving James Harden you take out James Harden put Bradley Beal they'd be at the same position you take out Kyrie Irving put Bradley Beal they'd be almost in the same position like that's not that's not that's not an argument. So I think it's just time for Bradley Beal to be given that respect, and as well as we respect the progression of people. So that's why Jalen Brown is in here. This guy is averaging twenty six points per game, where he last year averaged only twenty points per game, and he's averaging more rebounds, more assists. He's averaging his career high for field goal percentage, free throw percentage, and three point percentage, which are all absolutely insane numbers. He's averaged, like I said, 26 points, around five rebounds, five assists, and uh, he's just really helping Boston in a in a different way. He's showing that not only is he a defensive artist, but he's also turning into an offensive artist. And my apologies, he's averaging three and a half assists a game. Looking at my numbers now, but 52% from the field, 43% from the three-point line, and 76% from the free throw line. Uh, Compare him to any other, you know, guard. I think he deserves that respect because not only does he do it offensively, he does it defensively. And Jason Tatum over to Giannis, you know, they're close in they're close in standings, but Jason Tatum has, I think, to me, I'm not saying that he's the better player because not every year is the, let's say, better player. I'll put okay. Let me put it a different way. Not every every year we look at say okay, well this person was a starter this year, but then next year the other person was a starter instead. It's all about the current season you're having. You can't use MVPs, Defensive Player of the Years, All Star appearances prior to put someone in an All Star starting lineup the next year automatically when they're putting up the same numbers. Jason Tatum is also elevating his game, averaging more points, more rebounds, more assists, shooting better percentages. So to me, I'm about the current season you're having. Yes, Giannis is averaging more rebounds, but where is the progression at? He's averaging pretty much the same numbers. Field goal percentage, uh, you know, shooting percentages aren't better. Uh, it's just to me, Jason Tatum, I think, has played better and shown that uh, progression helps a lot to get to an all-star game. I'm not saying it's the only thing that matters, but it helps a lot. And he's having just as good as year as Giannis. You know, granted, he's six foot eight. He's not seven foot, so the rebounding obviously is going to be a little lopsided there. But to me, I think it's just Jason. I think Jason Tatum just belongs in this forward position over Giannis. The Kevin Durant, Joel Embiid, I think is pretty self-explanatory. They're both in the MVP conversation, so I don't think there's any debate there. My West starters. I'm going to go, I, I think these are pretty much 
guarantees as well. Uh, Damian Lillard, Steph Curry, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, Nikola Jokic. Like stated before when talking about the power rankings and Anthony Davis, he's not the Anthony Davis that he was last year. And Kawhi Leonard is put it, is in the 50-40-90 club, averaging 27 points per game. You know, he's averaging uh, six rebounds, six assists. Yeah, it's, it's lower in rebounding, but being in that 50-40-90 club while averaging 27 points per game to me is just something that nobody else is, not a lot of other people, maybe one or two other people are doing in the, in the league currently. So to me, he belongs in that forward position over Anthony Davis. And LeBron James, Nikola Jokic, I think are just guaranteed. Damian Lillard's having a, he's picked up the pace quite a lot. Uh, that's the reason why he's in the. He should be a starter. And Steph Curry's an MVP conversation because of what he's doing with this Warriors team, uh, without Clay Thompson and the numbers he's putting up, the games he's winning. So I think that's just another self-explanatory uh, person to put in your starting lineup. East reserves. I'm gonna go Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Malcolm Brogdon. Those are my three guards. Because, you know, you only get, you get, on your team, you get a total of five guards and seven forwards. So my three guys on the East Reserve are Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Malcolm Brock. If you can put it together, three better guys, I'll challenge you. You, you know, people are going to say, okay, yes, Trey Young, better than Malcolm Brogdon. Better player. Brogdon has improved a lot more, and to me... Trey Young has disappointed this season, and I think thus far, even though I think he's better than Brogdon, not sure he belongs in the All-Star game as of yet. Because he's had games where, yes, he goes for 40, but he's also had multiple games where you see his box, you know, his points under 10, under double digits. And that's just, I don't, I, I, I don't think that's, I think that's why Trey doesn't belong in the All-Star game as of yet. I believe in the next few weeks, he will prove me wrong, and he will be in there instead of Malcolm, Malcolm Brogdon. But Malcolm Brogdon, I think, has absorbed this leader role in Indiana, the number one guy in Indiana. Obviously, you can compare. You can say oh, either him or Miles Turner. I'm going to go with Brogdon right now because, you know, Miles Turner hasn't played that much this year. But Brogdon does a great job at scoring the ball. He's a lot better scorer than he was last year. He, fatil- he f- <laughs> facilitates the ball well. He rebounds the ball. Shoots great percentages all around. He's one of the best free throw shooters in the league. He's led the league in free throw shooting before. But doesn't matter now. He's shooting a great percentage. He's, you know, shooting almost 90% from the free throw line yet again. But to me, he's just proved a lot more this year. He's played better when you compare to what was expected of him. Because Trey Young, I don't think, had taken that step that everyone expected him to last year. So that's my three guards in the reserves. My forwards, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Middleton, Demontis uh, Sabonis, and Gordon Hayward. I don't think Gordon will stay there, but as of right now, I don't think Gian- I think Giannis and Middleton are undisputed because Giannis is obviously having a great season. He has to be an all-star. Middleton is having a, a, a fantastic year, uh, putting up more points, rebounds, assists, shooting great percentages. Uh, Sabonis is averaging, tw- I think, 21 and 13, shooting also better percentages than last year, damn near. Uh, so I think those three, as of right now, are clear-cut. One, you can argue Gordon Hayward. 
I think the reason why I'm putting him out of here is because I, I think he deserves it. He's going out there putting up 24 points per game for this Hornets team. He's really the looked at as the leader, looked at as the main guy that's supposed to be scoring, and that can be when you go to a new team. Obviously, with the injury with the Celtics, he wasn't able to take on that role, but he's improved his points per game. He's shooting good percentages this year, uh, and I just think that how he's played this year and shown that he's ready to be the leader of this new organization and he's showing old scoring style of the Utah Jazz, Gordon Hayward. I think he just, as of this moment, deserves to be an all-star for how well he's played. In my West Reserves, I'm going to go with Christian Wood, Paul George, Anthony Davis, uh, Shea uh, Gilgis-Alexander, C.J. McCollum, Luka Doncic, and Zion Williamson. Same with how I have Gordon Hayward. I'm not sure Zion will stay there. But I think Christian Wood, uh, most improved player of the year thus far, hands down, playing fantastic. Paul George, uh, I think, is playing fantastic as well, shooting amazing percentages, 25 points a game, uh, good rebounds, good assists compared to you know what he normally does. Anthony Davis, I just think, is even though he's not playing as the normal Anthony Davis, I think he's still playing easily well enough to be one of the four four uh, one of the four forwards that's consi- that's going to be in this. Um, uh, Shea Gilders Alexander, I think deserves being here because he's helped. He's been placed on this Thunder team as a third year player, uh, and he's done amazing things. Like he's going out there scoring, rebounding, passing the ball, shooting decent, per- shooting pretty good percentages. Uh, he's expanding his game a lot, becoming a better player, a better teammate at such a young age, and I think that it's just, it's good to, it's fair to award uh, players like himself that when they're stuck in these situations, he's just putting his, he's keeping his head down, uh, and he's doing him the best that he possibly can. Even though I've said he needs to just, you know, increase his stock, and I think he, I think he has. I I don't think he stays here in the long run. I think he I think he just needs to increase his stock to go out there and get better contract to be put on a championship uh, caliber team. Uh, CJ McCollum I don't think that's disputable. Having a fantastic season, Luka Doncic just putting up insane numbers. You know, obviously he didn't start off too hot, but he's just a definite All Star. Zion I was stuck between thus far stuck between him and Brandon Ingram. Both have shown. Obviously, they're the they're looked at as the leaders of their team. They're the main contributors to this on the offensive end. Uh, I think Zion's having a a good year. The thing between me, uh, the thing between him and Brandon Brandon Ingram is I haven't seen too much progression from either one of them compared to last year. Um, though some numbers are just above, some numbers are down what they were last year. Uh, shooting percentages. Uh, they're both having good years. Um, I'm just going to be probably in between those two and maybe a Carl Anthony Towns if he uh, gets in there, plays more games, and plays at a high level. But Zion Williamson, for me right now, just just gets by Brandon Ingram because he's shown a little bit more progression since last year. So that's why I give him the slight, slight, slight edge over Brandon Ingram. But I know there's always going to be disagreement. There's going to be other people people are going to talk about well, I think you should still throw Trey Young in there. I think you should throw Zach Levine in there. I think maybe Carl Anthony Towns deserves to be in there. 
or Giannis deserves to be a starter, or Anthony Davis deserves to be a starter. And I want to hear that from you guys. So give me the most feedback you can in regards to this all, my all-star predictions because though I feel like it's very, very accurate, obviously people can disagree, but I love hearing feedback from you guys. But I think for sure if they continue to play at the level they're at and nobody steps up to the plate, these are your future all-stars coming in March. The big game to talk about, Wizards and Nets, probably overtakes Bucks and Nets for the best game this year. It was Sunday, January 31st. The Nets found themselves up seven points with 15 seconds left. Super, super back and forth game. Both teams deserve to win, but obviously both can't. Bradley Beal comes down, hits a three, and then instead of taking a timeout, Joe Harris grabs the ball, doesn't think, tosses it to the first person he sees, the first place he sees Kevin Durant. And Durant happened to be moving in the opposite direction, so it's an instantaneous turnover that is passed to Russell Westbrook, who hits the three-pointer, that puts them up one point and absolute mayhem. This obviously this wasn't the end of the game if you watched or if you haven't watched and you didn't watch or somehow haven't heard. The Nets had their opportunity. They got down to the other end of the floor. Had a a perfect pass to a guy a, a cutting Nets player who went up for the layup a while, you know, a, though it may have been somewhat contested, completely missed. Wizards got the rebound, went down, nailed two free throws and won the game. And what has been a an insane thriller, the best thriller, if not the best game, the best thriller we had towards the end of a game thus far. And the biggest thing behind this game was seeing how much the Nets are continuing to struggle on defense. Though, yes, like I've stated before when you're doing power rankings, they can put up 140 points, but they easily can give up as many as they score. And that's where they find themselves in a rut, in my opinion. They need to figure this out on defense before it gets too ugly and, you know, gets to the playoffs. Because in a series against the Bucks against the Celtics. I don't see this team that's worst defense in NBA history being able to successfully get past both if they have to face them back to back and then being able to handle a Lakers or Clippers team or whoever comes out of the Western Conference because they're going to go through two tough series back to back with this defense. And I believe the Lakers or Clippers will only go through one, which would be eventually against each other, which I could be told 100% wrong like I was last year. But this is just, if you're a Nets fan, it's kind of scary because then you realize that this is, this is really bad. This team is really bad on defense. But you look at it and you go, well, well give up defense. You know, don't worry about defense. You got Harden, you got Irving, you got Kevin Durant. But 
Like I stated, for multiple teams who don't find themselves defensively, when I say give up offense for defense, that's what I that's that's what this Brooklyn team needs to do if they don't figure it out. It's it's simple. They need to give up offense for defense. Because they gave up defense for offense in getting James Harden. Now, I will still say James Harden and Kevin Durant, to me, look better together than Kyrie Irving and, and Kevin Durant. But yeah, you obviously can't pull the plug just yet because you know they're seven and three in their last ten. Uh, they've played well in some games. Uh, they they've lost some games they shouldn't have lost, but it's all growing pains. So obviously, while while we've seen other teams super teams struggle, defensively we've never seen a, a super team struggle this much. Obviously, since historically they're the worst and on defense. All props to the Wizards because. The Wizards are one of the teams that are like really, really bad that can put up a performance like this because they have two players that can put up 35 points like Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal did, with Russell Westbrook scoring 41 and Bradley Beal having 37. Uh, this game was just fantastic to watch because whenever you see you know James Harden against... Russell Westbrook or Kevin Durant against Russell Westbrook or, you know, now James Harden and Kevin Durant against Russell Westbrook. It just brings back so much, so many memories of watching these guys play against one another and competing together like they used to, like they did towards the beginning of their career. And, you know, Bradley Beal is obviously an offensive machine, but it's just seems as though they don't have that guy who the Nets don't have that guy that goes out there and is like okay I can stop a, I can stop I not stop but I can prevent a situation like this happening where we have a, one guy go for 41 one guy go for 37 on us because say Westbrook has that 41 Beal has 28 different story Beal has 37 Westbrook has 30 30 Different story. But still, it's unacceptable for 149 points to be given up if you're going to be considered a team that's finals bound by a lot of people. And while there may be growing pains, this could be a consistent pain if something is not quickly figured out. Kevin Durant is a good defender. James Harden is a Decent defender, pretty good defender when he wants to be. Kyrie Irving is a, a a meh defender. We don't look towards Kyrie Irving for defense, obviously, but they need to under they need to figure out. Okay, what are we gonna do when we go against teams like the Clippers, go against teams like the Lakers, when we go against teams like the possibly the Pacers or the Bucks or the Wizards? It's just anybody that has two scores that can put up 30 points, we're going to have to kind of figure out, okay, what are we going to do to maintain these guys from going off against us and us giving up 100 and 125, 120 to 140 points? Obviously, sometimes it's going to happen. and It's not going to happen every single time, but you have that offense, okay, but rarely you're ever going to have the offense that's going to be able to win a, a game where you're both scoring in the 140s, unless it's in the overtime. It's, if it's in regulation, you're hardly ever going to win that game. But 
this Brooklyn team, to me, I, I, I didn't think they would struggle this much defensively. And I'm not sure if it's rotation, not understanding in which, okay, who's guarding who for what period of the game, off the bench, uh, what are we going to do when throwing guy, bench guys on with a couple of our starters, how are we going to be able to maintain, you know, obviously we can maintain this level of offense, but we can't continue to maintain this level of defense. So the question becomes, do you give up some offense for defense? Do you give up some of your scoring output to focus more on defense until you can exert the energy on both defense and offense? I think the simple answer is yes. I'm not, I'm not trying to, and it's not a confusing question, but I just think that if you're the Brooklyn Nets, I'm talking about this from their perspective, do they, are they considering giving up offense for defense? And while that just means going down on the floor, don't take the first shot that you see. Don't go down and have the point guard pass to one guy and that be the first shot you see if it's a forced shot. Go down the defensive end, frustrate a team, and then if you have a fast break, take that opportunity to go down and score. But lull them to sleep sometimes on the offensive end to kind of give your team a break because while they, they run so fast on the offensive end, yes, that's their specialty, but they're doing it over and over and over and over. Meanwhile, we, we saw the, the, the Warriors, for instance, they had Durant, Thompson, and Curry who could all score 40 in a game. But they, at some points, though, they were, yes, they were running their offense fast, you know, set screens, get open, move, move, move. There were times where they understood, okay, against certain teams, we can't do this. Certain games or every night, we can't do this because it won't work. It won't win us multiple games. It won't win us a championship. They understood what their, you know, that, but that Warriors team is obviously, it's completely different because they have, uh, Durant was his peak at defense. Klay Thompson's a great defender. Draymond's a defensive player of the year two times and has, has been in the conversation multiple other times besides that. But I think they just, opposite of the Nuggets, they need to find out their defensive identity, what they're going to do against teams that are going to give them trouble. What are they going to do night in and night out consistently on the defensive end? What are they going to focus on? Are they going to focus on defending the rim? Are they going to focus on... Uh, deflecting passes? Are they going to make teams second-guess shots and passes? Like, what are they going to do? And I think that needs to be figured out quickly before they kind of have to realize, okay, if we have more games like this, and if we, say, have five more games like this out of our next ten, we got to do something about it with getting rid of somebody. I think that's what might happen. I think if they have, if half of their games, or let's say six, five, six, seven, five or six of their next 10 games are like this, I think that's when somebody might go. I'd give this team, if it has continued like this, 10 games of this full roster of, of that full trio. Maybe I'm wrong because obviously I, I you know, I'm not the, the biggest expert in the world. I'm not the the smartest guy when it comes to analyzing teams and analyzing what professional teams will do because I haven't been there. I haven't been within an organization to understand, okay, what goes on and if if they're thinking this because I'm not in there. I haven't been there. But 
I think if you're the Lakers, you have to understand that a change needs to be made. Now, <laughs> the Nets. The Nets, my bad. I think I understand. You have to understand if you're the Nets that something has to be changed. And it's up to them to figure that out because it could get ugly soon. But who knows? They could make a statement against the Clippers, statement against another big team, another big team, and shut us all up. But as of right now, I don't see that happening. All right, guys, and to end off the pod, the infamous who impressed, who disappointed. I'm going to run through these quickly like I always do just because most, you know, some of you guys already know have heard of these performances. This is just basically for y'all that haven't, maybe don't pay attention to all the games and maybe just want a quick recap of what happened in recent games that you haven't heard of or you were going to watch but weren't able to. So the five impressed. Start off two, the Ball Bros. Both getting wins over Milwaukee. LaMelo decided to turn it up and, you know, one-up older brother. Lonzo having 27 points, shooting 10 of 20 from the field, 7 of 13 from three, three rebounds, eight assists. Uh, LaMelo shooting twenty, uh, <laughs> shooting 8 of 10 from the floor, having 27 points as well, shooting 2 of 3 from 3, uh, 9 of 9 from the free throw line, had five rebounds, nine assists. You know, getting those two extra rebounds and one assist where he probably called Lonzo after and said, yeah, we both got 27 in that dub, but I increased you in that on the, on those stat sheet in the stat sheet and shot way better than you, <laughs> even though Lonzo did shoot well. Uh, for me, this was impressive for Lonzo because to me, it seems like thus far he hasn't figured out when to turn it up, when he's feeling it to shoot the ball more. You know, you know what I mean. Lonzo usually when he's hits a couple threes in the first quarter, he's lack, he's you know, then he lays off a little bit. He tries to get his other teammate, but rather than I think this is why he's in trade talk because he just isn't consistent with his performances. Where games where he starts out twelve points in the first quarter, he doesn't score again until the fourth quarter because he's not taking the shots necessary in order for him to have a good game. This is where I think Lamelo has kind of already learned something he hasn't because Lamelo when he's feeling it he attacks the basket even if he's not going to score he's going to dish it to a teammate who's wide open because they know Lamelo likes to shoot likes to shoot the ball likes to score when he's feeling it he's not one that's going to hide in fear of being on an NBA team with other talented players when he's feeling it he's going to score he's not going to hold back and another thing that was impressive for me for Lonzo was normally in the games just you know, so far in the season that we've seen him get the have twenty twenty five points, he hasn't had the eight assists. He's had the two three assists, and I think where he and Lamelo are the most deadly when they're having these high scoring games, uh, they get they're able to pass the ball, so they're able to. This is where they're able to win games as well, where beforehand they weren't able to. You know they. Where their teams lose, where you see Lonzo have you know maybe twenty two points but only three assists, uh, like I stated before. But I think this is an early thing that Lamelo has learned over Lonzo. Now maybe Lonzo, if he can have a couple more performances like this, can maybe stay on his team. But maybe it's going to take another new team for him maybe to figure something out to understand. Okay, I have to have takeover games, or I'm just going to be a guy that's bouncing around the league. And next is Nikola Jokic, a win over the Jazz. Had one of the best performances I've seen this year, especially first-half performances. 47 points, 17 for 26 from the field, 4 of 4 from 3, 9 of 10 from the free-throw line, 12 rebounds, 5 assists. And a huge win against a team that's, you know, 
two spots ahead of him in the, in, in the standings. This is where I think the best players come out and shine and they show that they're capable of dominating teams that are considered a great defensive team as well as a great team overall and one of the best teams in your conference. Russell Westbrook, 41 points in the win versus the Nets, shot 16 for 28 from the field, 4-7 from 3, 10 rebounds, 8 assists. What I loved about this was two things. One was seeing him you know, help out Bradley Beal in a game where they needed it. He was able to, he chipped in in points. Two, he shot the ball not only efficiently, but he didn't overdo the threes. Where you see 28 of his shots, only seven were threes. Normally where we see Russell Westbrook have 28 shots, it's with, you know, 13 threes. Normally when we see him have 40 points, he's shooting 35, 36 shots. He limited it to 28 shots, uh, seven threes, which I think was big, a big sign for what Russell Westbrook to come and to kind of show maybe maybe this is going to help him understand, okay, I don't have to overdo the threes in order to score because I can get to the basket whenever I want and finish. I just He has to find his groove from mid-range and from three to have these important performances like he, like he just had. Like this is the key, Russell Westbrook. Understand from this game, take notes. You know how to score the ball, learn to do it efficiently, and learn what you can do the best and what you can't do the best. I'm not saying he doesn't know how to do that, but it just seemed consistently 163 points, 163 attempts. He hadn't, maybe he forgot that this season. Maybe he forgot. Uh, DeMar DeRozan, the last one. You know, as much as I've given him shit, uh, 30 points, 10 assists, and a win versus the Nuggets was huge. Uh, I... This is what I needed to see from DeMar DeRozan. I still don't, you know, I still don't believe in it. I still don't think that it's just going to be the normal the Toronto DeMar for this for the Spurs. Uh but I think he can have more performances like this and, and I especially want them to come out when we play teams like the Nuggets. Like that's what I want. This is what I want from DeMar. This is a DeMar I want and I can't wait to see. Hopefully. Now disappointed. Tim Hardaway Jr. He, this is what I, I referred to last episode where I said he needs to understand he's the third option. Because in 26 minutes against the Jazz, which is a very competitive team with them, two points, only shot five times, one rebound, three assists. I'm not expecting a lot of rebounds, a lot of assists from Tim Hardaway. What I'm expecting is more than five shots, more than two points for that Mavericks team's third option. This is why they're on such a bad losing streak, because... While everyone understands Luca and Porzingis are the main options, when they're not feeling it, Tim Hardaway needs to step up. Even when they are feeling it, but they're in a competitive game like that, he needs to put in his 16, 17 points a game. He needs to do so. Because, yes, while your two main guys can carry the load, you understand that teams, when they're looking at you, if you're having these performances, they're going to be like, okay, double-team these boys, other players can't hit shots consistently. Game over. We got this game. We got this game. You know, in the bag. I think Tim Hardaway. This is kind of a lesson to him that, okay, I'm the third option. I'm the third best player on this team. He needs to understand that in order for the Mavericks to be competitive in the playoffs. <clears throat> Funny because, <laughs> Demar Derozan, a loss versus the Grizzlies. Five points. It's two of six from the field. One rebound. One assist. What I need him to figure out is just what he's go- what he is on this team. Demar, are you the leading scorer or are you 
an inconsistent performer for this for this young Spurs team because there's young players that can play. Demar just I don't think he has it. Fi- I don't think he's ever had the San Antonio system figured out and what's asked of him and what he wants to do in this system. And for me, I think it's blatantly obvious. But I I, I want him to do well because he's on my team. Not only on my team, but I you know I support everybody that's in the NBA. I want him to do well. It's just I'm nervous that he can't do it consistently. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, thirteen points. Uh, shot three of twelve from the field, three eight from three, uh, three assists, five turnovers, and loss versus the Nuggets. Now this is a game where we saw Nikola Jokic step up. We didn't see Donovan Mitchell step up in the way that he needed to because this is statements and where the best players play their best in the biggest games. And Donovan Mitchell proved that maybe he can't do that every single time. Not everybody can do it every single time. Maybe he can't do it ninety percent of the time. Where if he wants to be considered a superstar. That's where he needs to do it. Last two are Miles Turner and Kemba Walker. Miles Turner, I'm putting him in here. <clears throat> I kind of give him a pass because he's kind of back into the games. In 29 minutes, he had nine points, one of six from the field, one of four from three, five rebounds, fouled out in a loss versus the Sixers where he's battling a guy like Joel Embiid who's an MVP conversation. Uh, need to see it definitely stay out of foul trouble because he's smarter than that. He's a better player than the, He's a better player than that. But also, when he's getting back into it, he needs to put up more shots. And obviously, you get, in foul trouble, you get in foul trouble, it's hard to put up those shots. But I think early on in the game, or when you get back in the game from your out of foul trouble, I think he just kind of needs to attack the basket, needs to put up shots in order to get that feel back for the game that he's so desperately wanting. Kemba Walker, 28 minutes, 4 points, 1 of 12 from the field, 0 of 5 from 3, the loss versus the Lakers. This is what we saw from Kemba last year in the playoffs where the two young boys stepped up, but that veteran point guard that fits in well in their system that they look for didn't step up. And that was the biggest, that's the biggest problem that the Celtics team is going to have in order to get over that hump. And I'm not sure if Kemba, obviously Kemba's a better fit than Kyrie, but a game against the Lakers, you can't have these performances because what if he has it consistently in a series against the Bucks, against the Nets, against... You know, anybody else that's tough in their conference. Kemba needs to step up more than he has in the big games that they've had. But that's all I have for you guys today. I hope you enjoyed. Tune in on Anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcast. Follow our Instagram page at Mainly Basketball. Uh, follow our Twitter page at Mainly Pod. Like our Facebook page. Let us know what you want us to talk about, what we missed that you want to hear. Uh, if you're enjoying the content, if you're not enjoying the content, Either way, we appreciate everybody that listens. Love y'all, appreciate y'all, and we'll catch you next time.